you would stand in honor of the reading of God's Word, turn your Bibles to Exodus 35. We'll be covering a lot of ground today, uh, Exodus 35 through 40, so we're going to hop, skip, and jump our way through the Scripture reading. But we will start with Exodus 35, 1 through 10. And if you would, adjust with me as we go. That's found on page 88 of the Black Pew Bible. If you don't have yours with you, there should be one in front of you. Exodus 35, verses 1 through 10. Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ramskin, and goatskins, acacia wood, oil for the lights, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones, and stones for setting, for the ephod, and for the breastpiece. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. Now look with me in verse 29 of chapter 35. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. Now turn with me to chapter 36, verses 2 through 8. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him freewill offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, The people bring much more than enough for the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. And all the craftsmen among the workmen made the tabernacle with tin curtains. They were made of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns with cherubim skillfully worked. Now go to chapter 39, verses 32 through 43. And the craftsmen went on to make the curtains for the tent along with all the furnishings as well as the clothing for the priests just as the Lord had commanded Moses and now we pick up in chapter 39 verse 32 thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished and the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses so they did then they brought the tabernacle to Moses the tent and all its utensils its hooks its frames its bars its pillars and its bases the covering of tanned ramskin and goatskins and the veil of the screen, the ark of the testimony with its poles and the mercy seat, the table with all its utensils and the bread of the presence, 
the lampstand of pure gold and its lamps with the lamp set and all its utensils and the oil for the light, the golden altar, the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense, and the screen for the entrance to the tent of the tent, the bronze altar and its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hanging of the courts, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, its cords and its pegs, and all the utensils for the serving of the tabernacle, for the tent of meeting, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their, pres for their service as priest. According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it as the Lord had commanded. So had they done it, then, the Lord, then Moses blessed them. We've been walking verse by verse through Exodus, and you think, well, verse by verse, you just you said we're going to cover five chapters, uh, and there's a reason for that I'll share with you in a minute. But where we are in the, in the story, the book of Exodus, Israel had broken covenant with God. Remember, God had rescued them, redeemed them from the hand of Pharaoh in Egypt, brought them through the Red Sea. They're traveling toward the Promised Land. They're at the base of Mount Sinai where they're going to be about 11 months receiving the law from God, and they're going to be on their way towards the Promised Land. But Israel had broken covenant with God, hadn't they, by making a, a golden calf and worshiping it. But... Moses had interceded for them, and he had done that effectually and secured forgiveness for the people. And God had promised, not only forgiven them, but had promised to go with them to the promised land. But before they can go, the commandments that we saw back in chapter 25 through 31 regarding the tabernacle construction, they have to be carried out. So today, we'll see in chapters 35 and 36 that the contributions gathered. We read, Morgan read them, uh, read that text for us. The contributions uh, had to be given, um, and um, the furnishings for the, the tabernacle, everything had to be built. Um, we see that instructions given. And then from about chapter 36, the middle of 36 to the end of 39, we see the work is done. Aholiab and Bezalel, they're filled with the Holy Spirit and, and they're equipped to do the work and to train others to do the work. And so that's what's happening. And we studied this back in chapter 25 through 31, and we have the same instructions given here almost verbatim. That's why we're taking five whole, cha whole chapters today. We've seen this text already, John. We've walked meticulously through it. Now we see that uh, repetition. The only difference being before it was described as a work to be done, the work to be done, but here in, in chapters 36 to 39 it's described as the work accomplished. And then in chapter 40 the work is completed, which is culminated with God filling the tabernacle as he comes down in glory. Okay, So let's real quickly, we're going to get to, we're going to focus mainly on chapter 40, but in chapter 35, verse 1 through 3, there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of work to be done. This tabernacle, everything has to be put to, uh, built and then put together. But before they all get started, what does God do? God says, wait a minute. A lot to be done. But he reminds them that the work has to be done according to his will. And so we start out in the first part of chapter 35. There's going to be no work on the Sabbath. We need to keep the Sabbath holy. Remember? What commandment is that? Remember? Which one? Yeah, fourth one, remember? How do you remember? Yeah, because you do this, because most of you are going to take a nap today, right? That's how we remember that. That's the fourth commandment. 
Yeah, we don't need to get so caught up in working that we don't rest in His grace. We need to not get so caught up in working that we forget Him. It's kind of like Mary and Martha. Do you remember that story from Luke chapter 10? Mary and Martha. Martha was busy serving. She was getting after it. She was my kind of gal, actually. She was getting her done, right? But what was she neglecting? She was neglecting Christ. Mary chose the better. And what was she doing? She was sitting at the master's feet, right? Yeah. So a question maybe for us today real quickly is, do, are we busy in Jesus' service and we use that as, a, as an excuse to neglect communion with the Savior? Good question for me. I think I'm tr that's true for me sometimes, oftentimes. Busy. I get here in the mornings very, very early, and I have a list of things that I want to get done. And it's so easy for me. I'm tempted to just jump in and get things done before anybody gets here. Phone's ringing. Nobody's here. That's the time I need to be spending drawing near to the Savior. Well, the recently forgiven Hebrews, what do they do? We see them cheerfully giving this contribution, right? Adding to the, the offering so the tabernacle can be built. And as we read, there's enough money given. In fact, they said, whoa, 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 that's enough. Don't bring any more. Don't bring any more jewelry. Don't bring any more yarn. We've got enough. No more acacia wood. Right? The shed's full. We've got enough. So they brought enough. And notice the attitude of the givers. In chapter 35, verse 5, they're, all who were willing brought the resources. Whoever had a generous heart brought enough. And we looked at this text previously when we, we were walking through verses uh, chapters 25 through 31. But I, I don't think it would belabor the point we should be cheerful givers, shouldn't we? Seth, this is just extra stuff here, buddy. It's not even part, really, of the taste. This is extra. Now, you guys stayed up late last night, didn't you? I see you over here yawning and stuff. Now, this is, I'm just going to tell you, this is a case in point. You're like, man, you're embarrassing your kid. Quit it. Well, they're my kids. I put up with a lot of stuff, too, you know? Um, <laughs> on Saturday night, we, uh, we have kids over sometimes, but um, for us, Saturday night, we go to bed really, really early. You know, we don't stay up. Friday night, I let my kids stay up as long as they want. No kidding. We don't have anything to do the next day. Stay up as long as they want. You know why? Because they go to bed about 1130 anyway, and they think I'm the coolest daddy on the face of the planet. <laughs> but then Saturday night, we go to bed early. You know why? Because the most important day of the week is worship day. And so we need to be in bed early, and we need to be here ready for worship. We don't need to be yawning and falling asleep. All right? Y'all ready? All right. Here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, tells us Paul, speaking to the church in Corinth, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves... What kind of giver does God love? A cheerful giver. Yeah, we should be cheerful givers, shouldn't we? Are you a cheerful giver? I mean, we have some people who are givers. God just bless them. Some of them can make money, and some of you are going, who is that? I need to learn from them, right? But some of us, God just gives us differently, and some folks are just good at making money. Maybe it's good because you're born with a silver spoon in your mouth and you got to use that and you're able to use that and make a bunch of money. Some of you, you know, you may, you know kind of like a self-made guy. Not really. No one's self-made, right? Everything we have is a gift from God. But some of you just good at making money. I mean, we got people in our church they are just good at making it and they give freely and, and sacrificially and they're happy to do it. And we should be happy to do it, right? We ought to give. We ought to give to the church. 
We ought to give to support the ministries. Man, we've got some great ministries going on. We're giving to the, the pastors in Ukraine and Romania, working with refugees there. We've given over $12,000 in the last month to those two pastors for them to be able to use for meeting physical needs, but more importantly, spiritual needs, sharing the gospel and teaching these U Ukrainian refugees who have no hope right now that there is hope in Christ. Some of you are cheerful givers. We all should be cheerful givers. And so the Israelites, they gave. So much so, Annabeth was like, it's enough. Don't give anymore. We don't need anymore. Man, isn't that awesome? Yeah. A couple things we're going to see here in our text, mainly chapter 39, but primarily in, in chapter 40. The first is this. The Israelites and Moses did, did just what the Lord said to do. Obedience is essential for a relationship with God. In chapter 39 and chapter 40, time and time again, we're going to see this phrase, as the Lord commanded Moses. Chapter 39, this phrase or one very similar is going to occur 10 times in chapter 39. Then chapter 40, we're going to see that same phrase used seven times. Now, the instructions were given on how to build the tabernacle as well, to, as, well, well as how to build the furnishings, all that, that was the lampstand, the ark, the mercy seat, the altar of incense. But all of this was, these plans were, were given. It's like the, the building plans were given. But then it was interrupted, right, with the issue with the golden calf. But the Israelites had repented. And how do we know they repented? Because they're bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. And what is that fruit? That fruit is obedience. But the work has been done by the people. They gathered the, the materials and they went to work. And they made everything that needed to be made. Look at chapter 39, verse 32 and 33 again. Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished. Now you're going to see tabernacle, tent of meeting, that's the same thing, synonymous, same, same place, right? My home, my house, right? Same, same deal. And the people of Israel did according to all the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. Then they brought the tabernacle to Moses. They had rebelled against the Lord, like we do, but they repented. And they're bearing fruit in keeping with their repentance. They obey. They obey the Lord. They brought all these things to Moses. Now it's Moses' turn. And it's funny, from chapter 39, chapter 40, there's a pronoun change from they, 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 and now we're going to see you, 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 because they're brought to Moses. Now it's Moses' turn. And Moses obeys. Look at chapter 40, verse 1 through 8. We're going to read through this quickly, so turn your Bibles if you have it. Black Pew Bible, page 94. We're going to move through this really quickly. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and you shall put it in the ark of the testimony, and you shall screen the ark with a veil. And you shall bring in the table and arrange it, and you shall bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps. And you shall put golden, the golden altar for incense before the ark of the testimony and set up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. You shall set the altar of burnt offerings before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and, the, and place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Right? For the priest to wash their hands. Remember that? And you shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen for the gate of the court. The, hey, Moses, you're going to set this thing up. Verse 
Look at verses 9 through 15. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it and consecrate it and its furniture so that it may become holy. You shall also anoint the altar, burn offerings, and all its utensils, and consecrate the altar, so that the altar may become most holy. You shall also anoint the basin and the stand, and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and shall wash them with water, and put on Aaron the holy garments, and you shall anoint him and consecrate him, that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also, and put coats on them, and anoint them, as you anointed their father that they may serve me as priest, and their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. So bring everything together, set it all up, and then I want you to anoint it with the oil. Everything in the tabernacle, and including the priest. And look at verse 16. Then Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded him, so he did. In the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle. He laid its bases and set up its frames and put in its poles and raised up its pillars. And he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent over it as the Lord had commanded Moses. You see that already, right? See that repetition? That's important. He took the testimony, the, the, the commandments, right, the tablets, and put it in the ark, and he put the poles on the ark, and he set the mercy seat above the ark, and he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the screen and screened, and screened the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the table in the tent of meeting and on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil and arranged the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. There it is again. He put the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the golden altar in the tent of meeting before the veil and burnt fra fragrant incense on it. What? As the Lord commanded Moses. He put in place the screen for the door of the tabernacle and he set the altar of burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered on it the burnt offerings and the grain offerings as what? Oh, gracious. Y'all stayed up with Dalton and Seth last night, didn't you? Come on, people. As the Lord had commanded Moses. Y'all got to go to bed early. He set up the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing, with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. When they went to the tent of meeting and when they approached the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. Obedience. They did as the Lord commanded. That's obedience. Obedience is evidence that they were God's people. Now, they didn't obey to be God's people. They trusted God to be God's people. But obedience is evidence that they were trusting the Lord. James chapter 2, verse 26. Faith apart from works is what? Dead. Yeah. In other words, it's useless. It's not faith at all. See, obedience is the evidence of our faith. These Israelites, they had obeyed. How do you know they trust God? Because they obey. Faith that saves, obeys. Faith that does not obey, does not save. You get that? Say, so, oh, I got faith. We all in here would probably say, oh, I trust the Lord, I trust the Lord. Well, if we're not obeying the Lord, that faith is useless. Counterfeit. A faux faith. 
We obey out of a, a result of trusting the Lord. If you don't obey, you're not trusting Him. So I ask us as a church, as our, myself and you, are our lives steered by God's commands? Do we live a life that is characterized by obeying the Lord? If somebody had to describe you, four or five sentences, would part of that be, he obeys the Lord? What the Lord desires for him is really, really important to him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, Faith is only real when there is obedience, never without it. And faith only becomes faith in the act of obedience. Let me say that again. I'll send you my notes if you need it. Faith is only real when there is obedience, never without it. And faith only becomes faith in the act of obedience. See, obedience is, is evidence that, that Israel loved the Lord. Jesus, he mediated a new covenant, instituted a new covenant. And Jesus, he would say about love, if you love me, you will do what? Obey my commands. And we see example after example in the Old Testament of Israel not obeying God. I mean, we've seen a humdinger in the example of the golden calf. You know what a humdinger is, don't you? A humdinger can be good or bad, depending on the context. In this context, in Exodus, it's bad. They really blew it, didn't they? They disobeyed the Lord by worshiping a golden calf. Think about the New Testament. A lot of humdingers there, too. One was the rich young ruler. You remember that story? The rich young, ruler, rich young man comes to Jesus. He knows Jesus is different. He knows he's a prophet. He says, what must I do to have eternal life? What do I have to do to go to heaven? I want to go to heaven. Jesus, what do I need to do? Jesus tells him. We'll obey the commands. I, I've done all that. The guys, I got all that. He had a high view of himself, didn't he? Jesus, knowing his heart, said, take all your possessions, sell it, and give the money to the poor. In fact, I'm going to turn there real quickly. You don't have to. You can if you want. If you're fast as me, you can do that. If you're not, if you're really slow, don't, okay? Stay where you are. Matthew 19, 16 through 29. Verse 21, Jesus said to the rich young man, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. And what did the young man do? He walked away sad because he did not want to obey the Savior. You want eternal life, you got to obey. So wait a minute. This ain't no works-based thing. You're right, it's not. Salvation's a free gift. We trust Him for it, but if we trust Him, we'll obey. Jesus, when He walked this earth preaching and teaching truth, you can sum up his, everything He said in three words. What is it? Repent and believe. This is the command given by our Savior. The one who created the world, Reese, says repent and believe. So what must we do? We must obey the Lord. Have you obeyed the Lord?
You have to obey the Lord in order to know the Lord. We have to repent and believe. If you don't repent and believe, you can't know the Lord. The result of the nation and Moses obeying the Lord, they did just as God had told Moses to do. The people did it. Moses did it. What's the result? God condescended and filled the tabernacle. The second point. God condescended and dwelt among his people. Let's look at verse 34 through 38. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out to the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel, throughout all their journeys. Let me ask you a question. We're in Tennessee. What if um, we all live kind of neighborhood? Some of us live in the countryside, right? George and I, we live out in the, we live kind of in the sticks in the country, but a lot of us live in neighborhoods. What if, what if Peyton Manning? moved into your neighborhood like was it your neighbor like next door neighbor like down the street neighbor what would you think here this is this guy's rich and famous and all these things and he moved into your neighborhood would you think less of him let me tell you a little story blake um got to rub elbows with peyton manning and um uh, one of the greatest it's the fifth greatest thing ever happened in Blake's life. First his salvation, then his, then his marriage, and then his two girls, right? And he got to rub elbows with Peyton Manning. It's like number five. The greatest thing's ever happened to him. <laughs> As a Memphis fan, this is the greatest thing's ever happened to him, right? <laughs> and what if he moves into Blake's neighborhood? He don't live in a neighborhood. What if he did? He moved in there. You wouldn't think less of Peyton Manning. You would think, wow, that's pretty incredible. A guy like that will live among normal folks. You wouldn't think less of him. You would think more of him. He's even better than I thought. He's willing to do this. Think about what the Lord has done. This rebellious, stiff-necked people, Caleb, right, had rebelled against the Lord. Moses had mediated for them. God had forgiven, promised to go into the promised land. And now he has condescended filled the temple with his glory and now he's dwelling with his people and what was his dwelling like do you remember you remember the holy of holies remember how big that was you know it's 45 by 15 it's been a little while right it's, it fit inside the sanctuary and it's a tent the god who created the world and sustaining all things Decide to live among these sinful people. Bless them with his presence. Wow. And there's a, this physical manifestation of the, of the presence of the Lord. It's just a physical, visible reminder that God was with them. And it points out the transcendence as well as the condescension of God. God is transcendent. What's that mean? One of the best verses to describe it. His ways are higher than our ways. He's just high above us. He's holy and righteous and good in every way. In every way there were not. We'll talk about that in a moment. You remember, 
this text said in verse 35, Moses couldn't even enter the tabernacle when the glory was filling the tabernacle. He couldn't even enter. All right, we'll talk more about that in a moment. But God condescended. God came there holy and righteous and perfect and glorious. But he dwelt among his people. And he's going to go with them as they travel. Now this manifestation of the, of the Lord, it's different and more glorious than what we've seen before. See, before God was among them at a distance. Either Remember he was on the mountain, rumblings and cloud on the mountain. That was still kind of quite a distance away. You remember the people, they couldn't, they couldn't go up the mountain, right? They had to stay down below. Yeah, the, it, was kind of, it, it was near, but it was still kind of up on the mountain. And, and then when he's leading them from Egypt to there, he's leading them. He's come before them, right? And then even there's times where he's behind them. You remember when Pharaoh's army, Pharaoh changed his mind, and he sent his army after the Israelites there at the Red Sea? And they would have caught up with them, but what did, what did the Lord do? He was behind them, protecting them, right? So we see he's on the mountain, he's before them, he's behind them, but not anymore. They're in the midst of them, living among them. This is, there's something newness about this manifestation. God had settled there. He's not coming and going here and there, when they're supposed to leave, okay, the cloud's going to leave and, and, and lead us that way. Cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. But here it's settled. No, this is where God's going to dwell. Not coming and going. He's here to stay. Why did God redeem the Hebrew nation? Why, why did he redeem the Israelites from Egypt? They're there in bondage. They cry out to them. God raises up Moses, leads them out, pours out judgment, reveals himself to the, not only to the people of Israel but to the nation of Egypt. He leads them out by a strong hand, leads them to the promised land, gives them his law so they'll know his will. Why? So that God could dwell with his people again. You remember Adam and Eve in the garden? Adam and Eve, there was no sin what happened? God, Adam and Eve, they walked. They had fellowship, right? The coolness of the day. Sin occurred. Rebellion occurred. And there's separation, right? They're out of the garden, cherubim. You can't come back here. What do we see here? We see God again. We got this picture of what it's going to be like one day. We got this glimmer of hope, right? What distinguished the nation of Israel from all other nations? Their God. God was with them. God was with them. He gave them his law, and he's with them. That distinguishes them from others. Third thing we see, verse 35, is this thing is to be continued. This story, this narrative is to be continued. The end of Exodus is the introduction to Leviticus. Let me explain what I mean here. God is going to dwell with his people, but the glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle so that not even Moses can enter. Now, there, this throws a wrench in things, doesn't it? I mean, think about it. Moses has been the nation's mediator. In fact, when the nation heard God's voice as he taught the nation the Ten Commandments, sometimes we think, well, God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. No, God gave the Ten Commandments to the nation. 
And they were so awestruck and afraid, what'd they do? Moses, tell God to speak to you, and then you relay the message to us. It's too awesome. Can't handle it. Moses had been meeting with God on the mountain. What's the result? He comes down and his face, he didn't know it, but his face is aglow. So much so he had to wear a veil when he talked to people. And when he would go in and commune with God, he would take it off. But once the glory of the Lord filled the temple, Moses couldn't enter. Why? Because of the transcendence of God. God is high above us and he's not like us. He is perfect and holy. Not even Moses could enter the tabernacle. See, the book of Exodus contains the descriptions of the parts of the tabernacle as well as uh, the assembling instructions for it being put together. But the book of Leviticus is the owner's manual. It tells the Israelites how they're to take advantage of this mediatorial role of the tabernacle, the, the sacrifices, the priesthood, all which enable them to do what? Draw near to the Lord. So the story's not ending. It's, it's just this progressive revelation. We're at the book of, end of the book of Exodus, but it's to be continued. The book ends, and the glory of the Lord comes. He's dwelling among the people, but Moses can't enter the tabernacle. The, the glory of the God revealed here is greater than any previous revelation given to Israel. The glory of God in the temple was so awesome that even Moses could not enter. Yes, it's, God is revealing himself progressively, little by little by little, to the nation of Israel and, of course, to us. And we get to the book of Le Leviticus. What's going to happen is going to set up the, the priesthood, the sacrificial system. And what are those things going to do even more clearly? Because he's already pointing us to Christ. Moses is the mediator. And what do we keep seeing? Every sermon, we keep seeing what? We point it to Jesus. This point us to Jesus. Point us to Jesus. Looking back, we're new covenant people. We're looking back, we see how, oh, that's pointing them to something better. Something better. Book of Hebrews, right? We've been in the book of Hebrews, seem like every week as well. Yeah, this is a better covenant. There's a better mediator, Jesus. But in the book of Leviticus, it's going to be even more clear, more specific, going to point them to Christ. So the story is to be continued and picking up with the book of Leviticus, but it's all going to point us to Jesus. Think about David. We have this mobile tabernacle, right? Giving instructions. It's mobile. Why? Because they're not yet settled. They're going to go into the promised land, have the time of the, the judges and time of the monarchy. And David's going to be the second king of Israel, the greatest king. And God's going to direct them to a place. Right? They couldn't just set up camp, build a temple anywhere. No, it was in Jerusalem, the place God would show them. David gets to Jerusalem. He builds himself a palace, and they have the tabernacle. And David says, this just isn't right. My house is better than God's house. That's terrible. And he wants to build God a better house. God wouldn't let them, but he allowed Solomon to build the temple. And what happened there? The Spirit of the Lord, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. 
But all this is pointing to what? An even more spectacular condescension. Jesus, the Son of God, is going to take on flesh and become a man. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word, so we get of Christ, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Under the new covenant, God condescends, right? He sends His Son to live among sinners, kind of like He did in the tabernacle, God dwelling with sinful people. But there's an even greater condescension, right? After Jesus dies and becomes a once-for-all sacrifice for sin, He's put on the cross, nails in his hand, nails in his feet, and he dies there on the cross, right? The Father pours out his wrath upon the Son to pay for the sin debt of all who repent and believe. Jesus is buried. Right, this is part of the gospel. This is part of the good news. This is the good part. Jesus rises from the dead on the third day. Scripture says so we can be justified. What's that mean? Well, because sinners are living in rebellion against the Lord, we need a sacrifice for sin. In the Old Covenant, the book of Leviticus, if you keep reading this wonderful story, there's sacrifice that had to be made. So atonement can be made for sinners. They would take little baby lambs, prettiest little thing. You ever had little sheep or lambs? We've, we've had them in our house, raised them. They're beautiful little things, right? You would take that and... You'd have to put your hand on the head of this unblemished lamb and cut its throat. And it would drown its own blood. What are you doing? You're, you're talking about this innocent creature is taking my place. I should be the one suffering, but this thing is taking my place. It also teaches that, yeah, that sin is, the result of sin is death. Sin causes death. We can relate to that, right? Because we're all sinners. We're all separated from the Lord. Yes. We all need a sacrifice. Jesus was the sacrifice yes. once for all. He died, bore the wrath of the Father, took our punishment. He was buried, but he rose. Amen. And then he ascended. But he said, I'm going to the Father, but one day the Helper's going to come. Helper's God. The Spirit of God. And the scripture tells us if we obey the Lord by repenting, which means you, you stop living for yourself, stop trying to earn God's favor, do something to make yourself right with God, you give that up and you turn from that endeavor and you trust Christ, right? Trust that what Jesus did on the cross was for you and what he did on the cross was sufficient for you. What he did on the cross was for your forgiveness, his death and his resurrection was for you. So you repent, you turn from living like this, and you surrender, yield it to the Lord. You know what happens? The condescension of God, the Spirit. As we surrender to the Lordship of Christ, we have a born-again experience, and we're given the Spirit of God. Amen. God living in us. Pretty incredible. Hey, that's far better 
then the glory of God condescending on that temple so many centuries ago. Now the Spirit of God wants to live in us. But only if you obey by repenting and believing. Have you, have you repented? Young ones, little ones, look at me. Have you repented? Have you repented? Repent today and trust Christ. Students, repent. What are you waiting on? If you know you're separated from the Lord, cry to the Lord. Repent and believe today so that the Spirit of God can fill you and seal you, guaranteeing your eternal destiny, heaven. Adult, repent. If you're here and you've yet to repent, repent. By way of application, what do we do with this? Repent and trust Christ. Repent and trust Christ. God did something incredible there at the base of Mount Sinai. The law has been given. The people have been forgiven for their rebellion and their idolatry, breaking that first and second commandment. And God dwells within his people. That's incredible. But we have such a, a more wonderful, incredible testimony, don't we? As even Moses and the Hebrew nation did. Secondly, first, first thing by way of application is repent. If you've yet to repent, you ought to repent. God has condescended and he wants to make his home with sinners who've been saved by the work of Christ. Second thing, I'll ask you, is our lives, our lives. You know, we have a life as a church, right, corporately, but we have individual lives too, right? Are our lives characterized by obedience to the Lord? If we had, had to give you a little description of you in four or five sentences, would I say that your life is characterized by obedience to Christ? Cody, if McKenzie had to write a description of your life, four, five sentences or less, would she write in there, truthfully, that your life is characterized by obedience to the Father? Again, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I'm reading Bonhoeffer right now, if you couldn't tell. He says, only he who believes is obedient, and only he who is obedient believes. Are we believing? Are we obeying? That's what God desires for his people. We don't believe. We're not believing if we're not obeying. So, man, you, it's kind of harsh. We're all sinners. That's right. We're sinners saved by grace, and God calls us to obedience. And that's what James, that's what we're called to do is obey. We don't obey. Your pastor don't always obey, but that's what God calls us to do. Is your life characterized by obedience? Would your spouse say? Would your best friend say? Would your coworker say? Would your classmate say? Would your teacher say? Would your student say? If they had to write a description of your life, or of your person, of your being, five sentences or less, would they say 
part of that being that you you are obedient to the Lord. It's hmm. good, isn't it? We needed that today. I needed this today. Amen. Let's think on this this afternoon and let's obey the Lord. Let's obey the Lord when you leave. Let's obey the Lord tonight. Let's obey the Lord tomorrow. Say, man, what if I just blow it? Well, you're going to blow it and I'm going to blow it too. What do we do? Obey the Lord by repenting and believing. Repenting and believing. And so what we do, say, oh, you're a Christian if you don't fall down. No. You're a Christian if you, if you fall down and you get up and say, help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Anything else before we dismiss? Let's obey the Lord. Hey, come tonight. Hey, if you're visiting with us, come. come. Who don't like catfish? Hey, if you're visiting with us, it's free. Free catfish tonight. If you're not a cheerful giver, it's free for you too. All you cheerful givers. <laughs> but we hope we got a lot of cheerful givers come tonight. No, it's a great opportunity. You come and eat. You don't worry about money. That's not an issue here. Hey, you know why? Because we got cheerful givers in this church. Amen. And we could we could pay for this trip outright, but what are we doing? We're allowing it, us all individually to be a part of this endeavor. And it's a great work that they're going to be doing, going to Idaho to help this sweet church. Come tonight. Come tonight. If, you, if somebody's not here, we have Sarah. I know we have quite a few that are out. Some traveling. Some aren't here. Some are sick. Encourage them. Call them when you leave. Say, hey, come to eat tonight. Uncle Ronnie's going to be cooking. It's going to be good. If you want to bring a side, bring a side, a dessert, something like that. You don't have to be, cook a ton for everybody. We're going to have catfish. But if you'd like to bring a side, that'd be great. Something you like to eat. And bring a dessert. We're going to have a good time. The team, they're going to be here most of the afternoon preparing. They're going to do most of the work. We'll just come here and help them and eat and give cheerfully and let's have a sweet time together, okay? Anything else? VBS meeting, if you want to be a part of uh, sports camp this year, it's our VBS we're doing this year. Meet right here with Miss, uh, Miss Jane's class and um, take care of some of that business. Anything else? Business meeting on Wednesday night. We're going to have Bible study. If you've never been to our business meeting, it's incredible experience and I'm not being facetious or sarcastic we just love each other and we have a good church family and we just take care of business like we should I think so far right it won't take very long we're going to do Bible study prayer time that'll be at seven o'clock um, new uh, schedule be coming out in um, in June uh, we'll have all the information in the bulletin but June we'll beaver kids will stop and uh, we'll start just Bible study from 7 to 8 in June. And then July, we take a break on Wednesday nights, give our teachers a break, get ready for the fall semester. But we'll have that in the bulletin. But regular Beaver kids on Wednesday night, come eat with us and uh, have Bible study. It's a sweet time. Okay? All right. Let's be dismissed. Who wants to pray for us? Somebody? Come on. All right, Bo. Pray for us and dismiss us, brother. I ask God to give us grace to obey this word. Oh, you know what? Okay, I'll, I'll pray. Let's pray. He's uh, he lost his voice. Let's pray. I got plenty. I got a cough drop. I could go on forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We um, we understand it. It is um, it is sufficient. It is inerrant, infallible, and we need it. And we need to sit under its teaching. And we need to read it for ourselves and study this week and help us do that, Lord. Father, help us submit to the teaching of your word. Father, for there's so many here, so many of us, we've experienced 
you know, spirits filling our lives and sealing us. And we're so thankful that we have that hope. We're so thankful that one day we're going to be with you and we're not going to fall anymore. We're not going to mess up and rebel and be selfish or prideful or say terrible things or hold back good from those who should receive it. Father, we're so thankful that one day we're going to be like you, with you in glory. And Father, we recognize that's all because of Christ and his work for us. But Father, I recognize there are people here who maybe have yet to repent, maybe some adults, maybe some older adults, maybe some students or some children. They've yet to call you Father. They've yet to cry out to you in repentance and faith. And Father, I just pray that you'd use our, our church gathering. You'd use the teaching of your word in small group, the teaching of your word in here in worship, the singing of your truth today, and use it in the hearts of these lost people. And I pray that these young people and these adults and these children, when they lay their head down tonight on that pillow in the quietness of that room, in the darkness of that room, I pray that you allow that sweet gospel message to cry out and Lord, you'd use it that you would grant sinners repentance and faith today. Father, help us to obey you today. Help your church to be a, an obedient church as we leave today. Help us to obey you in every way. Father, for all that we have planned this week, Father, we ask that you would bless our efforts. Pray for tonight. It would be a really sweet time together, fellowship, that we'd get to love each other, grow to love each other more, get to know each other better. We'd serve each other well. Pray that we'd be able to have enough funds to send this team on and our church be a part of that. Just pray that it'd be a sweet time. And even as that team, as they serve together, may they have joy in their service. For it's for you and unto you and for your glory. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Sunday morning services at Beaver Baptist Church. We are currently studying the book of Exodus. If you have any questions about today's message, or would like more information about our church, call us at 901-837-2904. You can also visit our website at beaverbaptist.com.